AVXL episode 157 was recorded on October 7th, 2021. OLED TVs, not for your desktop PC. More headphone thoughts from CanJam. Sony Z9J Master Series 8K TVs getting reviewed. Biodynamics got some new mics and cans for creators. Den at Home gets Alexa viewer questions and quite a bit more. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every person that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly donations make this show possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in video and home audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. So, Cardinals, Dodgers, wildcard game, possibly a marital breaking thing for a particular pair of friends of mine. Not that their marriage would break over baseball, but it was literally two childhood teams fighting each other for a wildcard slot. Who won? (laughs) (laughs) I know it wasn't the Oakland A's. My youngest son doesn't know yet, and he's waiting to see the last three innings. So if you know how it ended, you know how he's going to feel. I was laughing as I was thinking of you last night, Rob, because I ended up signing up for a trial of YouTube TV because I needed TBS to watch the blacked out Cardinals Dodgers game. And all I could think is I'm like dealing with MLB.com, the MLB TV app, and then realizing that I need TBS. And like the only way I'm going to get that on short notice uh, is to you know, subscribe to something like, well, YouTube TV. All I could think was like you being pissed and some of your rants about A's blackouts. <laughs> so totally. That's not changed. <laughs> no. But if you actually subscribe to that YouTube TV channel, which is included in that case, TBS for that particular game, you should have been able to see it. We were able to see it. It vacillated between spectacular, and I think there were some moments when maybe when everybody decided to rewind to watch something over again or something, where it went to full-on 8-bit <laughs> graphics. Right. A little compression. A lot of compression. You were saying you were having issues with this last week on the NBC Sports app. Totally. I no longer subscribe to MLB TV. Right. I tend to have to use the local sports channels in order to be able to watch that. We have a YouTube TV subscription in this household, but I'm not using it in the particular room I was in at the time. So I thought, well, we still have the NBC Sports app. I'm just going to fire that up since the game was going to be on there. And sure enough, as soon as I flipped on to that game, it gave me that message right on the screen and said, oh, due to money concerns, we're blacking this out for local viewers. (laughs) This will finally prompt me, I think, to get that YouTube TV subscription working in the workspace. So to speak. Oh my goodness. And just a quick shout out for anybody who's into baseball. There are usually, at least for every team I've looked up so far, right? there is a free radio stream somewhere online. Go to your local broadcast station's website, and then you can transform your $1,000 smartphone into a $5 AM FM radio to enjoy <laughs> that game. I honestly prefer the radio announcers over the TV announcers. It depends on the team. I sometimes love everyone involved, but... Still, it's a quick and easy fix, and it lets you uh, <laughs> lets you boombox your smartphone for a little bit with some uh, oh my goodness. baseball goodness. Yeah, no. We started streaming the, the ball game over the local AM affiliate uh, on Sonos, and then uh, I wanted to, my son to be able to actually connect what was going on because he's, you know, he's just starting to understand the concept of baseball. It was interesting. Um, <laughs> and you said, uh, I guess Amazon Video 
who's playing tonight? There is actually a NFL Thursday night game tonight through Amazon Video, also available on Fox and NFL Network, with the wonderful Rams versus the Seahawks. And I believe they're playing in Seattle. So you get to watch that if you want. If you have your Prime account and you typically don't watch a lot of video on there, but you are a sports fan, here you go. Fire it up. I will be curious to see what the (laughs) streaming quality is like. I find that most all live stream sports look like upscaled 720p at best. I'm not seeing anything that's even like solid 1080p or 4K, really. Even though that's what the stream will say it is, eh, it never looks that good. Harsh, but fair. I have seen special events live that were streamed in like HDR 4K that looked fantastic, Mm -hmm. but those are few and far between. I find, at least here in the United States. (laughs) Brief thought while we're talking about all this. I talk a lot about the Criterion channel and the Criterion collection, right? These magnificent, you know, DVDs, then later Blu-rays. And of course, now they're finally going to 4K UHD of really pivotal uh, moments in cinema or some not so pinnacle, but uh, help pay the bills. Something I was realizing as I've been digging into HBO Max a lot lately, uh, especially because I've been kind of obsessed with programming uh, my HBO Max viewing by way of looking at the last chance section uh, to see what's disappearing and to watch it before it disappears. There is a staggering amount of really good movies on HBO Max going back forever. And, you know, some of it is more uh, cultural touchstones like the original Red Dawn, but also stuff like Steve McQueen and the Sand Pebbles. Very cool. For any of a number of reasons, they're playing like everything by Clint Eastwood this month. So if you're a Clint Eastwood fan, there's a place to go, but also stuff going back decades. If you haven't started digging in deep into uh, into HBO Max, if you have HBO Max, it's probably worth your time. You know, I admit, as much as I enjoy the uh, cinema of John Wayne, I'm probably never going to watch Flying Leathernecks again, but <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff buried in there from a lot of genres of cinema. I think in part because you don't realize, for example, Turner Classic Movies is buried in there. I think we've talked a lot about Studio Ghibli and uh, some of the other stuff, but it's kind of amazing once you start digging in there to realize just how much is in there. You know, the Maltese Falcon, MASH, Shaft, all the President's Men, uh, not exactly a classic, but certainly a touchstone for folks of a certain age, uh, Wall Street. (laughs) Would you say that content discovery on HBO Max is fairly straightforward and pretty easy? Or is it something where it's like, man, if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, good luck. HBO generates stuff, and then they have the rights to stuff, and Cinemax has the rights to stuff, and then there's all the Warner stuff that falls under that, and Looney Tunes and these other things. I think Discovery pretty much sucks all the time unless you have a particular movie in mind and, you know, search for it. You know, more often than not, I find myself firing up uh, Siri on the Apple TV and asking and then choosing some of the options there, you know, because I didn't realize... You know, if you dig into Turner Classic Movies, like all of a sudden I found like the channel inside of or the sort of sub channel or subsection in the menu that you navigate to way at the bottom of the menu on on the, the far side of HBO Max is when you find out like, oh, 
you know, Key Largo is in there, Casablanca is in there, Unforgiven's in there, the original Solaris is in there. Uh, if you're a, you know, have a lot of patience, uh, you know, and you're in the film studies, Blow Up is in there. Uh, a John Wayne movie, I probably would watch again. They are, ex- they were expendable. The original Dune. Um, <laughs> I will you know, never David watch Lynch's that again. Dune is in there. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to watch it just because there's so many visual moments in that. There's a lot of stuff in there. The Man Who Came to Dinner, The Goonies, Aww. Paris, Texas, American Graffiti. Oh, the uh, a bunch of the Miel movies, which is kind of uh, fantastic. He was essentially a Frenchman who did a lot of silent films uh, at the beginning of the industry. And they also have a documentary talking about the Miel mystery. And, and my French is horrible. So if you're a French speaker and you're cringing every time I say M-E-L-I-E-S... Uh, I apologize, but um, they managed to restore 270. There were like 520 lost films, right? He was one of the early directors, one of the early auteurs. They restored 270 of them um, in between uh, Lobster Films, National Film Center, and the Library of Congress all worked to bring these together. So there's all of these short films that he did, and a lot of them are like, you know, a minute long, 12 minute long, 12, 16 minutes long. Like a short or a trip to the moon from 1902 is like 16 minutes. The old hag is 12 minutes. The impossible voyage, which is fantastic, is uh, 21 minutes. Um, you know, but this, these are some really spectacular films that kind of portrayed the potential of cinema in the early days. And he just kind of disappears. Like, I don't even think we ever talked about him when I was in school for film studies, but uh, it's, they're really interesting. If you want to look at the history of film and some of the really wild things that were going on in the early days. So very cool. I will put down my classic cinema hat now. (laughs) I get excited. Uh, it's been fun kind of showing the kids also a lot of the physical comedy that comes out of Charlie Chaplin and, and like Buster Keaton stuff is still utterly terrifying to watch. If you know that these were all physical, practical stunts often done with him, like, you know, walking up and eyeballing like, yes, when that wall of that house falls over, I'll be standing in the right place for the window that's 12 foot up to fall over me, uh, and not, you know, crush me like a grape. Um, it's good stuff. Excellent. Hey, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Mr. Caleb Dennison over at Digital Trends for checking out Sony's glorious Z9J Master Series 8K TV. He put it through its paces, and we've talked about this a while ago when it was first launched, but actually seeing it in someone's hands and being able to just take in some of its peak performance. This is a premium TV. This is the flagship for Sony's LCD lineup for 2021. We're talking peak light output exceeding 3,000 nits. Now, if you're talking about a TV that will work good in a bright room environment, this is what you really want. (laughs) They were talking with calibrated setups, about 1,900 nits in standard dynamic range, about 2,500 nits in cinema. And in real world watching, he felt that that TV was pushing close to 4,000 nits in HDR content for specific highlights within the scene. That also happens to be the target master level for many, if not all, Dolby Vision created content. Whoa. If you actually flip the Z9J into its vivid mode, that's where it spiked above 3,500 nits. And wow. Wow. Uh, that would be... <laughs> that's bright. 
that's where it should be. It's just a shame that <laughs> it's not a shame. This is a premium TV, so you are paying a premium price for it. Available in 75 or 85 inch screen sizes. I believe the 75 is about 6,500 on sale right now. The 85 inch is a cool nine grand. You're talking state of the art technology, but a great review and definitely check it out. The question for Caleb came down to if you were offered, say, an 83 inch OLED of whatever, uh, even Sony's own, say, say their best versus, say, an 85 inch Z9J. Would you take the nits over the epic viewing angles or what would be your choice hmm. if if money were no object, so to speak? Have both. One for when guests are over and one just for yourself. <laughs> I agree with that. The only downside I would say to any of Sony's lineup for this year is the mostly missing support for variable refresh rate. So if you are a gamer mm -hmm. who demands that specific feature, you may really want to consider shopping elsewhere. But otherwise, uh, if you appreciate the finer pictures in life, <laughs> you really can't go wrong with anything that contains the words Sony and Master Series. And in this case, it's their flagship, AK LCD, which is pretty cool. And while I was looking around for, hey, what monitor would you use to actually author 4,000 nit content for Dolby Vision? I was over on the Flanders Scientific website checking out their latest XM312U display for a cool $22,000. This thing will push up to 5,000 nits in a 31-inch high-performance LCD mastering panel. That, you know, if you want to talk. <laughs> Big money. As someone who's worked on a few Flanders Scientific Pro panels, they are a delight, as are most Pro displays in terms of the granularity of control, absolute performance. There's a reason they cost as much as they do. It's kind of crazy. It's a 2,300 zones on that. What's the price on that again? 22K, baby. <laughs> A cool 22000 That's a bargain, actually, considering what I was going to say, is. like, given the market, because we've seen significantly less capable monitors selling for 50% more into that world when you're coloring your HDR. <laughs> totally. Totally. One of the things I find that these pro-type monitors, be it Flanders Scientific or things I've seen from other manufacturers... One thing they tend to do really well is the uniformity of the picture. One from corner to corner, it looks consistent you're not seeing like color shifting if you're seated in the proper viewing position on these i've also seen built into these monitors environmental sensors that actually measure the hmm. room conditions and will adjust the monitor accordingly usually to a fixed built-in table that's built into the monitor they've actually calculated out how this display changes over temperature so you don't have to wait for the monitor to warm up its table tells it that, hey, if I am at, you know, 30C, it should be doing these levels. And if I'm at 25C, I should be doing these levels. And all of that put together just gives you superb right. consistency time and time again, which is what you need if you're doing color grading on a professional movie or any project, really. It's what you want. Again, that's why these monitors cost tens of thousands of dollars. Because <laughs> they're delivering perfection. They are trying. As close as we can get to it. It has to be better than oh what you're goodness. looking at. <laughs> Literally. I, I mean, feel, that's the point. I feel comfortable in saying it It pretty much is for the vast majority of people out there. Um, oh, I should give a shout out. To, uh, I was talking about uh, George's meal and the stuff that was showing up on uh, HBO Max. If you've ever seen Hugo, uh, Martin Scorsese's kind of... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I love the snot out of that movie. But essentially, the filmmaker in that movie uh, is George's Miel. Yeah, I mean, that got uh, 
like 11 Academy Award nominations. If you haven't seen it, I, I think of it as being Scorsese's or Scorsese's kind of ode to his love of cinema. I think he also wanted to make something he could watch with his grandchildren. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Goodfellas being kind of tough on the on the little kids, you know. Oh, man. So uh, speaking of professional tools, Biodynamic announced its Pro X series for creators actually uh, this morning. The DT700 Pro X, DT900 Pro X headphones, and then the M70 Pro X dynamic mic and the M90 Pro X true condenser mic. These are uh, one of my favorite headphones I've, I've owned for years and years and years and years is the DT770. It's a studio headphone. It is, uh, I, I feel comfortable in calling it industrial. It is a form follows function kind of design. Nice. I've seen, you know, I've seen not as often as MDR7506s, but I've seen a lot of DT770s in studios over the year, uh, over the years. But uh, so the DT700 Pro X is closed back. It's targeted at, quote, production and travel, while the 900 Pro X is open backed with, quote, strengths in professional monitoring, mixing and mastering, which makes them very, very similar, again, to the DT770 and the DT990, both of which have been around forever and sell for about 150, 160 bucks. These new ones, the 700 Pro X and the 900 Pro X, have uh, a new biodynamic driver, the Stellar 45. They also have significantly sleeker and more cleaned up looking designs than the DT770 or DT990. Um, they, you know, they've got some interesting stuff going on there, micro xlr cable in with the standard cables in the box um and the microphones are like the 70 pro x is your classic broadcasting mic and that uh, condenser mic they're targeting people doing vocals and instruments they're basically claim a natural sound for both i'm gonna say it right now people using microphones uh either hear a significant difference or don't hear a significant, you, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're the kind of person that has 22 microphones, one for every single recording opportunity, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> if you're not, um, you know, it's microphones are such a personal thing when you get into production. And uh, I, I'm still always amazed that people either don't give a crap or give all of the craps. I have a friend who doesn't want to record on anything other than a particular microphone, classic microphone at a particular studio in Austin, because it is like the perfect compliment for her vocals. And uh, I want to test that particular microphone against other, other examples of that particular microphone. So we can see if it's sort of the studio or that particular microphone had some, you know, weirdness in production that made it sound a little different, but that's a conversation of metaphysics for another day. Um, so in any case, all right, Biodynamics is, is building these for YouTubers and streamers and podcasters and studio folks. And uh, it's 300 bucks for the headphones and the N70 Pro X microphone, 350 for the M90 Pro X condenser mic. And uh, they are certainly looking in the direction of Sure and other companies that are selling microphones hand over fist to the creatives cool. um, we talk about sonos regularly but they're not the only wi-fi speakers out there uh denon homes is another one uh and their u26 firmware uh brings amazon alexa to the whole denon home lineup so you no longer need an alexa sorry device <laughs> to change them what's kind of fascinating to me about this is much like a tesla this uh, firmware updates uh, exposes and reveals capabilities in the hardware in that it literally turns on the built-in microphones within the HEOS app and links the speaker to the Alexa account. Sorry. Um, 
because otherwise the microphones are disabled. They're dead until this firmware updates. Also, there's an LED light that's been dormant and now will light up to tell you if the mic is activated when you call out to A-L-E-X-A. So uh, one, anytime you're warned that a microphone's going as good as far as I'm concerned. And two, uh, you know, it's a lot of hardware to have sitting dormant for a while. They also activated a couple of capacitive touch buttons on the top of the speakers. One mutes the microphone. Uh, the other one lets A-L-E-X-A actively listen. So Wonderful. I'm personally a big fan of hardware switches for any device that has a built-in microphone. Yeah. If, if it can be done and it should be done, that's the way it should be. I prefer that much more than a capacitive touch control or I have to dig into an app in order to make that happen. I feel a little bit better with the hardware support built right in <laughs> with a flick of the switch. A button. Yes. yes. And there is no wire connection at all at that point. Anyway, it happens. Uh, apparently the Heos app is going to be getting a new look. Uh, somebody who uses uh, Heos to stream to his den and AVR. I am curious, much like uh, Sonos, their uh, home 150, 250, and 350 speakers will work as wireless rears to Denon's home soundbar 550, which also got a tweak to the DSP for, quote, improved bass response. And uh, one last bit of newsy thing before we move on to the viewer questions. Elite Screens uh, has a new electric floor rising projection screen. Essentially, it's a big wide box on the floor that uses a scissors mechanism to pull up a 16 by 9 screen that's either 126, 133, or 150 inches diagonal. I actually really appreciate it that they have IR and RF remote capabilities built in. Nice. It's uh, available in one fabric. There's Cine White X. That's a 1.2 gain. Uh, they say it'll work or it is compatible with ultra short and standard long throw projectors. This is a front projection screen. You can't uh, project to the rear of it, which would be interesting to try to configure for uh, a floor raising screen. Might be difficult with the mechanicals in the backside of the support yeah. and everything else. <laughs> but still. big sticks back there. It's another tool in the kit if you're looking for a way to fit a projection screen in a room or conference room. Mr. Chris Majestic on his YouTube channel was showing this off briefly during his recent review of the Premier laser projector from Samsung, their RGB laser projector, which now that I've seen a few other reviews of that projector, I would really like to see it again with a different screen material. I'm beginning to think I was having issues in the last one I saw more with the screen choice that somebody made rather than the projector itself. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind giving some more uh, screen time to these projectors and uh, a better setup, actually, for testing. That's something I need to work on. I will get that done. Get that done. Martin posted on patreon.com slash AVXL. Hi, I've been listening to you guys for two years now. You're the best. Thank you. I finally became a Patreon member just to support you. I thank you again, Martin. That's uh, patreon.com slash AVXL. He says, I'm going to upgrade my AVR, but it'll have multiple HDMI output ports. So I would like to try a small secondary television and sound bar that just duplicates what's playing on the primary TV. And it's about like 270 degrees opposite the main TV area in some built-in bookcases. And here's where the challenge comes. Uh, the bookcases have a fixed width of 22.5 inches. So that limits me, he says, to about a 25-inch TV. I want the smallest bezels possible. Looking around, it seems like my best bet is a computer or gaming monitor, but I only want it to watch TV. He adds, what are the most important specs for me to look for? And probably at least as important, what don't I care about? 
Cost isn't important, but a good picture and bezel list are important. Viewers are going to be at a dining room table with their eyeballs about eight feet away from the screen. Thanks for any input you can give me about making this decision. Cheers, Martin. Uh, and I'll just say it one more time. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. So when you look at that hard 22.5 inch width, you're going to fit a 24 or 25 inch computer monitor in there. As far as I know, there are no dedicated TVs in that size. You can find some really awful 10 or 20 inch televisions designed to get strapped into the back of a headrest for playing back DVDs in a car, but uh, you do not want those. 24 inch 1080p monitors are plentiful. Yeah. If you can, shop for something that is calibrated from the factory. If you're not right. able to connect this to a computer and have it load a calibrated table or the ICC color profile that may be supplied with the monitor to get it close or in target, that would help right out of the box. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with playing with whatever presets are built into this monitor. Hopefully, one of them is something like a movie mode or something more applicable maybe for daytime viewing, a standard mode, mm -hmm. something that just doesn't make all the colors look too exaggerated or it's crushing or blowing out detail one way or the other. You're using a sound bar with this monitor, so I wouldn't worry so much about the speakers built into the monitor. And mm -hmm. otherwise, it's just getting something that looks decent. And I think you're going to be stuck probably around like a 300-nit display unless you spend the money on something that's specifically a super bright panel. I wouldn't even worry about 4K at that size. No. <laughs> at an 8-foot distance on a 25-inch screen, you're not going to be able to tell no. the difference between 720 and 1080p or 4K unless you walk towards it. If you stick with a standard resolution like 1080p, it's going to make it simple for connecting any device to it. In this right. case, it'll just be coming from your AVR, but that's a nice standardized format, simple to support. It's 16 by 9, just no hoops to jump through. It's a shame you're constrained by size, but you work with what you can. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about, a monitor that isn't sort of fixed to its stand and gives you the option of using a face amount could be nice just to give you some ability to to not have that stand sitting there because it's going to be awkward enough having this black screen sitting in the middle of a bookshelf. One, don't worry about finding an OLED monitor, uh, first of all, because there's very few options. And second of all, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Vase is certified monitors, but there are a lot fewer than I thought there were going to be at this point. But if you go to displayhdr.org, you can start looking around for Vase certified monitors, you know, 400 nit, 500 nit, 600 nit. The list starts getting real short. That could be a consideration too, whether or not you want to go with something like a VA panel, VA, right. vertically aligned, that gives you arguably the best contrast you're going to get when viewed in that sweet spot, or something like an IPS panel, which would give you better right. off-axis viewing at the expense of maybe some of the deep dark black. I have a feeling this might not be the most, you know, home theater-esque setup for this particular display. <laughs> it may right. not matter as much. And like you mentioned about mounting options, every display out there nowadays, unless it's some weird brand, has a standard mount that you can add any kind of mount option to. You can get little feet that make it look like a little TV, or you can use that stand it came with, or you can simply wall mount that sucker or put it on an arm or do whatever. It makes it very flexible in terms of how you want to yeah. hook these up. And the options are very affordable in terms of what you can do in terms of mounting or providing a different stand style for, for any particular <laughs> display. Don't worry I about it. I want the pretty ones. I understand, um, yeah. I'd avoid curved monitors 
Yeah. Don't worry about gaming monitors that are all about refresh rates because um, you're generally going to be dealing with 60 hertz content right. the vast majority of the time. Again, you know, like we said before, 4K is optional at the viewing distance you're working at. There's a lot of 1080p monitors out there. You know, I tend to default to Dell UltraSharp monitors because the color is usually pretty good. Uh, but like I mentioned before, uh, ratings is good, although they do very few of the smaller monitors. They're looking at more of the larger 27-inch, 32-inch, uh, 34-inch monitors. Uh, and again, it might be worth going to displayhdr.org to see what uh, is certified for Vesa 400 or, or uh, well, anything you can find on that list. So, Well, that's true, that too. Helps. If you were planning to use this for a modern gaming console, then yeah, maybe you sure. would want an HDR display with a wider color palette. Mm -hmm. I would assume whatever monitor you're looking at is going to do standard dynamic range, BT709 color pretty well. Right. But if you're looking at something that can really step it up and do something closer to the P3 primaries, yeah, you're going to be spending a little bit more money. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is I would go most cheap on of this. the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't no, be I think too, you're right. Just give me something bright and uh, with <laughs> with a bezel design that's not too obnoxious. Well, thinner the better, so you can get the most yeah. screen possible in that space. And then just hope that if you're buying this site unseen, that those dimensions are accurate, <laughs> and you don't have to. I hate it when that happens. Swap it out. I hate that. Hey, uh, speaking of OLED TVs and computer desktop displays or using an OLED TV as a primary desktop display. You found objections, very, very good ones. Yeah, I was not really surprised by this result, but the Linus Tech Tips gang posted a video on YouTube bemoaning the fact that all of their 48-inch OLEDs or any of the OLED TVs that they were using as PC displays were exhibiting signs of accelerated aging, aka <laughs> burn-in, and yeah, this is no surprise to me. I mean, I would not use an OLED TV as a computer display, at least full time, where it's your primary display, you're putting up multiple windows, especially if you're dealing with any kind of static interface, that is going to take its toll. Yes, these TVs have built-in functions to reprocess the screen and help diminish some of those artifacts, but you're also encouraging accelerated aging by doing that. And yeah, this was completely unsurprising to me, but wow, they showed a few screens where people were using four-way window layouts because of the size of the panel, of course. You want to put four windows on there. But if you're doing that for eight hours a day, yeah, you're going to see some uneven pixel wear, aka burn-in. Be aware of that. And if you are shopping for a used 48-inch OLED that you are thinking of uh, picking up at a good deal... Do check the uniformity on that very carefully before making such a purchase. I would uh, <laughs> I would not take a person's word for it. I would want to see a nice white <laughs> screen put up on that just to give a quick eyeball or a nice 50% gray screen, something that will show up. Is that the Windows logo, logo in the lower left-hand oh. corner? <laughs> they showed a screen that literally somebody was using for video editing, and it had four mm -hmm. windows in it, and they were clear as day. Ooh. Like I said, the built-in refresh functions in these OLED TVs can do pretty damn good work. But in the end, yeah, it does that by running a hot white line down the screen over and over and over again and just wearing it all a little even more evenly. <laughs> yeah. OLED TVs are not made to be computer displays. You have been forewarned. 
Uh, I kind of borked a couple things from CanJam, so in case I didn't make it clear, uh, the new flagship planar magnetic from Dan Clark Audio, the one that's packed with this custom-engineered 3D-printed metamaterial, um, and the metamaterial goes between the driver and your ears to, quote, get rid of standing waves and resonances. That is called the Stealth, and yes, it is $4,000. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, Dan Clark being Dan Clark, I suspect that research will quickly trickle down over time into more affordable products, at least I hope. Uh, Odyssey's LCD-5, their new flagship that replaces the LCD-4 at the top of the heap over there, is $4,500. And uh, the 5 weighs about a third less than the 4, which frankly, as far as I'm concerned, is a very, very good thing. Curious to, to hear the LCD-5 without a room full of people talking in the background and see some measurements on that. The Stealth, by the way, I think I, I mentioned last week, is pretty pretty much the Harman curve with some minor tweaks to give uh, a little more slam in the bass. Um, the Woo Audio WA7, uh, that is the third gen version of that tube amplifier. Uh, and again, I am not a tube person, but uh, this is an interesting product. A, because I didn't hear any of that warm, fuzzy second order harmonics that people associate with tube amps that makes them feel all 1962. And it's not just a headphone amp, it's also a DAC and a preamp. The really big difference from the first two generations of the Woo Audio WA7 is that they have the power supply built into it, so it's just a single box. Uh, the DAC comes from ESS Sabre, and as I mentioned last week, using my closed back Aeon 2 headphones on the show floor, I couldn't hear no tube hum, which makes me super happy. Very nice. Not a can jam thing. If you've ever coveted uh, Monoprice's Monolith 565C or their headphone amps, they've got a 25% sale going on on a bunch of their Monolith headphones and amps. I would. There are many of the Monolith Monoprice or Monoprice Monolith headphones I would not buy, but that 565C is a sleeper and it's at a really good price right now. Mini Saints of Newark dropped on HBO Max. <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? <laughs> the Many Saints of Newark, which is the Sopranos prequel, dropped on HBO Max this ah. week, much to my shock. Feel free to wait before you see it. It is a really bizarre mixture of, uh, uh, you know, I, dare I say fan service and uh, really not being up to the writing of the original series. I don't know. Let us know what you think. Uh, email askedavxl.com if you are a Sopranos fan or if you're not a Sopranos fan. But uh, I, it's... Uh, there's moments in there that certainly make it worth watching for any Sopranos fan, but if you were expecting Shakespeare, uh, this ain't it. It is interesting. And it's also very curious to, to see and hear a bunch of characters that are sort of mentioned in The Sopranos, but never really gets, uh, don't actually exist as characters. Very, very cool. I know a lot of people that are curious to see, like, the young Tony Soprano character, but otherwise... <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut as I know very little about any, any of the words I actually just said right there. <laughs> <laughs> Gandolfini does a good job. If anything, I think uh, one of the reviews I read was basically said they wish they had more of, of him on screen. Uh, you know, it's, inter it's, it's interesting. Watching a larval Tony Soprano is a curious thing. I'll just leave it at that. I'm surprised that nobody's taken like a stab at something like a Better Call Saul, where it's like the pre-story of just say, in this case, Tony Soprano. But anyway. well, to some degree, it is. I, but... Yeah. Okay. I, I, that's Hold the part. I, I really don't even know what I'm talking about. Why did I even say what I did? I don't know. You went for it. Hold on. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. Where is it? Where is it? I've. You know, it also is one of those things where it probably could have been a series, but 
New Line Cinema's The Many Saints of Newark is the much-anticipated feature film prequel to David Chase's groundbreaking, award-winning HBO drama series The Sopranos. Young Anthony Soprano is growing up in one of the most tumultuous eras in Newark's history, becoming a man just as rival gangsters begin to rise up and challenge the all-powerful DeMeo crime family's hold over the increasingly race-torn city. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle he idolizes, Dickie Montesanti, who struggles to manage both his professional and personal responsibilities, and whose influence over his nephew will help make the impression teenager into the all-powerful mob boss will later come to know tony soprano dun, dun, uh, dun, it dun. goes on <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know oh. well several beloved characters from the original series that inspired the film are featured in the movie there we go it is what it is you know if you're a sopranos fan you're gonna watch it no matter what i say so go i'm just saying don't be heartbroken <laughs> I pass no judgment. It's okay. Oh, uh, you know what did get judged? That uh, we talked about uh, Monoprice's Monolith 13-inch uh, subwoofer when it came out earlier this year. Uh, Audioholics got to benchmark the 16-inch version of that. The two thousand dollar version. The twenty three hundred twenty three version oh, of pardon that. me. Yeah, it is not an inexpensive subwoofer. Does it Although, have all the boom? Can, <laughs> it has it has so much boom. Let me put it this way. Let me read one line from the review up on audioholics.com. Unfortunately, the 16-inch was just too large and heavy for us to do a full review. Hey, you try lugging a 170-pound subwoofer up and down a steep flight of stairs multiple times. Oh. Um, <laughs> they did, however, uh, get a sample for testing. It makes me want to go through and look at all of the CEA uh, 2010 numbers for a bunch of different subwoofer families because this is, you know, you're looking at like 106, 105 dB at 20 hertz or in some of the extended EQ modes, depending on how, uh, whether you have three or four ports open, you're looking at extension down to like, well, I mean, it's still pumping out. 80 dB, 85 dB, 82 dB, I'd say, 80 to 82 dB at 10 hertz. Oh, so Jesus. it's, you know, <laughs> oh, you're close to 100 dB, you know, 98 dB. You're above 95 dB at 15 hertz and a couple of the different modes. So. That's gut rattling. I'm not even sure yes. if I can hear that. I think I'm just feeling it. You would feel it. You no, would not yeah. be hearing it. I'd definitely be feeling it. The other thing that made me laugh is I was looking around for more sort of subwoofer demonstration kind of tracks and uh i found this uh reddit uh home theater post it says started blade runner 2049 last night got 30 seconds in can't watch anymore i thought the receiver was set at a reasonable level the pre-movie splash screen i don't know the technical term for it but similar to the brockheimer intro lightning strike hit and the shoe vtf mark ii made its presence known by shaking the front and back doors dropping two pictures making some things fall off the kitchen counter and causing the wife to yell at me also i jumped and peed myself a bit it was awesome except being yelled at lol very nice <laughs> very nice that is a I don't fantastic sounding movie, especially in Dolby Atmos. I mean, I have not, I don't, oh my goodness. I don't believe I've heard that in any other format. And that's all I've listened yeah, to. Yeah, the, the low end on that movie is spectacular. So, excellent. Oh my goodness. You, uh, should we talk about uh, your thrash for testing PCs or should we should save that tidbit for next week? It's up to you. I was 
going through my PC just making sure that my setups for fans and cooling, especially during the hottest days of the summer, that everything was up to snuff. And even when I'm pushing the system to max, I want to make sure that nothing is screwing up, so to speak, or flubbing in any way that could just interrupt my workflow. If you are interested in this kind of testing, there are a few apps I would suggest to make the whole thing a little bit easier. One, there's a piece of software called Hardware Info 64. That is just the granddaddy for every gauge you want on every component within a computer system in terms of everything from fan speeds to voltages to what percentage of the memory is currently being consumed. Any of those type of questions, you can easily set it up with Hardware Info 64 and take a really cool graph of it and watch it in real time. Uh, one tip for anybody building their own computer or if you just bought a brand new setup, I would always run a memory test on the computer and using a program like Memtest 86. It's something you mm -hmm. usually load up onto a USB stick, let the computer reboot from that USB stick into its test program, test your RAM sticks every time from any manufacturer. I have run into more than one occasion where you're wondering why this computer is misbehaving and it turns out that one or more sticks in the system are simply bad. It's always good to just to simply test them. I've also found that Memtest is great too to ensure that when you, say, run a built-in overclock, like an XMP profile for your memory, that when you do enable it, it's going to be solid doing that. That's another great way. The nice thing about Memtest 86, it can take an awfully long time to run, but generally if you have a bad stick of RAM, it'll start popping errors almost immediately and give you a good heads up. So it usually that's one of those apps where if it survives 10 minutes, it's probably gonna finish the whole run. Uh, for testing CPU okay. and memory, I love Prime95. That's a free app that incorporates a nice torture test built right in that you can target specifically to the CPU or the memory or a blend of both in terms of heating them up and making sure that if there is a problem, that's a great program to detect specific errors because it's calculating known values. And if the value doesn't come up right, it knows that mm -hmm. somewhere in the chain, something went loco. For cooking off my GPU, I'll throw on an app like Furmark. I don't use that for benchmarking per se or anything, but if I just need to throw up a window in the background to have the GPU cooking along with the CPU, that's a handy, handy tool for that. And that will also test your cooling on your GPU as well if you've made any modifications or you're simply going through your fan setup within, say, a case. Of course, there's also apps like CPU-Z and GPU-Z if you want some more detailed information about the chips in your system. And for the hell of it, I even threw on Folding at Home, which has to be one of the all-time great stress tests in terms of being able to use your CPU <laughs> or GPU. It's terrific in terms of how much it puts a good stress to a particular setup, but it might not be as good for trying to nail what the specific hardware problem is. It just seems to run your CPU and GPU at 100% if you set the workload to full power. But if something does go wrong, it would be less intuitive to figure out exactly what it was. Unlike, say, with Prime 95, if you've run just the CPU side of it and it fails, you know you probably have a timing or a cooling or a overclocking problem with the CPU and the same thing with memory on prime 95. If you run just the specific memory benchmarks or have it hammer the memory more than anything else. And that fails, that would give you an indication that you have a memory problem first. But like I said, for memory stuff, it's always good, especially if your computer is brand new. I always say run these test tools because if it's still within the warranty period, you can get it exchanged. Or if you just 
bought a pile of parts and finally got it assembled, it's good to be able to nail down what a troublesome product might be or a particular component and be able to get that swapped out and fixed. And I uh, am talking way too much about PC stability on a show about home <laughs> theater, but that's what I was working on today. There's a fair number of folks out there that are either serving video or serving audio or, or still using a home theater uh, to feed their screen or their projector. So I think it's worth mentioning. Totally. And, and all the tools I mentioned as well, you should on a well-built system be able to run any of those for any length of time without an error period. And if you are experiencing any particular weirdness with one of these apps, that's where you really want to kind of start doing a little sleuthing around to see what it might be causing your issues. There you have it. Do us a favor, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL if you want to talk to us in a public forum. Uh, I want to say pound, but I need to say hashtag AskAVXL uh, works if you want to use a hashtag. And uh, as always, you can email ask at AVXL.com if you got a viewer question. And we appreciate all the questions you send us because you help us let us know what we should be or shouldn't be covering on the show. It's your show. We make it for you. And uh, thank you once again to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash AVXL. If you didn't get a chance to join in on the Friday night hangout, we're going to be doing another one in October. Do us a favor, message us on patreon.com slash avxl or email ask at avxl.com tell us when your ideal time to have a hangout is because we're going to try to spread them around at different times halloween or if that's a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> let's do it on halloween oh wait i think it's a, oh yeah not a weekend or a... i will send my children to your house Robert. it's a sunday <laughs> we could do a sunday halloween special with costumes <laughs> early it'll have to be early that's or a after good the point children are done we'll start at 8 a.m Eastern. Uh, yeah. No, maybe uh, not. You know, it's, it's be like the first, this will be the first, I think this will be the first Halloween we actually see anybody doing Halloween-y stuff because people were pretty much hiding at Halloween last year, or maybe they hide at Halloween every year here in Dogtown. We'll I look forward out. to giving away candy. You and me both. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. Start stockpiling candy to give away now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good candy. Spend a little bit on name brand candy that kids actually love. Because let's be honest, if they don't eat it, they don't show up. You're going to be eating that candy for the next couple months. <laughs> don't be handing out those weird mints grandma had on the table. <laughs> hey, 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 I like those mints. <gasps> I do too. The chalkiness. It's so good. The best mints are chalky. A digestive. Right, I'm cutting it. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>